Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Aren't you thankful that we're fighting a battle that he's already won? It's so good to see you this morning. Thank you for worshiping here at Redeemer. I just wanted to welcome you. If you're a first-time guest with us, thank you for coming. And we hope that you'll just uh, enjoy your time with us as you hear God's word preached, as you worship with us. And I just want to invite you, if you would like more information about Redeemer Church, there are these little cards in the seats around you, or there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. So if you want to give us information, uh, your information, we'll give you information about Redeemer Church. And also on the other side of that card is a prayer request form. Now some of you have a life group that you share your prayer request with, but you know what? The elders and the prayer team stand ready to pray for you. But we can't pray specifically if you don't give us your prayer request. So I would encourage you, we, we have some people that faithfully do that, But take advantage of that. We want to pray for the members of our body. So would you help us to do that for you? Um, In a minute, after I pray, we're going to dismiss the children. But I wanted to take a moment to introduce uh, Jacques Coutsia. He's a friend of mine, and you're going to come up after I pray. But um, Latitude has been partnering with Homeground Church in Westville, South Africa, where Jacques is a campus pastor, and he's also our Latitude Internship Director. We've been partnering since 2016, but I had the pleasure of meeting Jacques when you came on staff there uh, around 2019, the end of 2019. And I started to share the Latitude vision with Jacques, and his eyes lit up, and he said, Keith, we are on the same page. Our heartbeats are the same for leading the next generation. And he bought into the vision, and he actually implemented the Latitude Internship Program at his church, and it's been three years now. And I think we've had like 18 or 20 interns go through the program so far. And this is a live-in 10-month program, and Jacques has been leading that. Now he has staff. He's got an intern coordinator, and he's also got a student and, and youth pastor that's, that's also helping there. But I will tell you, this man's heart beats for God. He shared his testimony at our Latitude dinner last night, and he shared how he was an unbeliever when he was a teenager, and how God came and met him, and how when God met him, he also called him into ministry. And so Jacques has been a faithful leader, He's the exact kind of person that we want to see happen all over South Africa and all over the world as a new generation of of spiritual leaders. So Jacques, you know that I'm blessed by your friendship. And I want to tell you, Redeemer, because you've supported Latitude, you were the first church to support Latitude, you have blessed Jacques' church. You've blessed young people in Jacques' community by your faithfulness and your prayers. So when Jacques stands up here and ministers to Redeemer, there's a partnership there. You know, Shannon's been going to South Africa since 2017, I believe. And there's been a relationship between the two churches. So Jacques, as as we pray for you today, I just want you to know that we are privileged to have you here. 
And I know that you're going to be a blessing to Redeemer. And as people get to know you, they're going to want to continue to pray for you and, and grow in relationship with you. So thank you for coming to the U.S. for the first time. Uh, I introduced him to Bucky's, <laughs> Chiloso Breakfast Tacos. He got to go to the Rockwall and Rockwall Heath football game and exper experience Friday Night Lights. And now he gets the ultimate privilege of preaching to you today right? <laughs> so let me pray for you, brother. Father God, it is indeed a privilege to have Jacques with us today. Thank you for this young man, for his vision, for the calling on his life, for the pioneering work that you're calling him to do. I pray for his family today who were uh, willing to let him come to the U.S. for a couple of weeks, his three children and his wife, Cara. I just pray for them. I know they miss their dad and husband, and they're ready for him to be home, but thank you for blessing us with him. And Lord, right now, as Jacques comes to, to preach on um, the indestructible hope that we have, I pray for your anointing on him right now, Father. I pray that he would be filled with the Spirit, and that as he comes and delivers the word to us, that we as a church body would respond, that we'd have ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you would teach us through your word today and through your servant Jacques. Lord, bless this young man as he comes up and delivers your word with power to your people today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, children, those of you that are third grade and under, you need to head to the back, and there are workers back there to receive you, and you go have fun in your classes, okay? Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. Good, I was going to ask what kind of church this is. Do you respond or do you not respond? And um, it's clear that you do respond. So I'm very excited to be with you this morning. Um, just before we get into the message, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. But also just thank you so much for hosting me. Just again, my host family, the, Al the Almasons, you've just been amazing. I keep joking about how my belt is actually much tighter um, it's not a joke. It's actually tighter. So thank you so much for just being so gracious and amazing. And just to um, Pastor Shannon um, and the leadership team and your family, um, just thank you so much for the continuous support and for allowing me to be here this morning. Um, you've got an incredible pastor. And I was talking at the, at, the, um, um, at the event on Saturday night, just talking about an incredible pastor with incredible biceps. Um, I would love to get started with just by sharing a little, little bit about myself. So I, I am married. Um, Cara is my wife, and I've got three children. So Peyton, my daughter, is nine. Um, she's in grade three. And then Levi, um, my second born, he's five years old. And then Lincoln, he's three. So Lincoln makes me feel the most emotions. Um, he, he's got the exact same personality type as me, so super strong world. Um, and also, he's very happy to express himself and what his will is, and so am I. So when him and I have a conversation and we both are not happy, we, we tell each other. And, um, and then I feel emotions, and it's not joy. <laughs> Vivian, it's not joy what I'm feeling in that moment. Um, that's when I need the fruit of the Spirit to take over. So, so, so Levi comes to me, so when he was four, so last year sometime, he says, hey, Dad, 
I say, he's got a very husky voice. He goes, hey, Dad. Very cool voice. He could be a DJ, like a radio DJ. He says, is it true that... Uh, he doesn't really sound that cool. That's just, me being, that's just me being very smooth this morning. He says, is it true that God made the whole world? I said, yes, Levi, it's true. He says, oh, he says Dad, I believe that. He says, but... So now I'm thinking, oh, what's, what's about to come? He says, but, Dad, can, can God do a backflip. <laughs> so, so now I'm thinking, how do I answer this? Because I'm sure God can do a backflip. Yes, I, I'm just, I'm trying to answer. So I just go, yes, Levi, yes. God did create all existence by speaking a word. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing. And he goes, so yeah, I say yes, so yes. God, if you wanted to, he can. He can do a backflip. And he goes, hmm, that's good. <laughs> he says, Dad, but can he do a double backflip? <laughs> all of us, all of us, even though we know some truths about God, have some things that we have doubt about. In his, in his, inf in his finite mind, he could believe very easily yeah, absolutely. God can speak a word and nothingness can appear. You could believe that easy. Backflips, because he, he can't do a backflip. <laughs> that must be impossible. It has to be impossible. And this morning I want to spend some time looking at what potentially might be impossible for us. And, and all of us have those things. And I want you to maybe tune into the voice of the Spirit this morning. He might even have already spoken to you or prompted something that seems for you to be impossible. But if we're thinking about having an, an unshakable faith, what is actually the exact wording we're looking at? It's indestructible faith, indestructible hope. If we're going to have that kind of faith, we have to be able to identify our blind spots. We have to be able to identify our blind spots. When God says that he has taken his word and, and he's placed it in the heavens, he's established it in the heavens. What he's saying is he's essentially got this, this is the picture I get, he's got this contract. And he's taken it and put it in a very safe place. In fact, he's put it in a safe that no one has access to, no one can reach, which means no one can alter or change it. But that's his word. Then he, then he goes, he pushes it even further. So God has the name above every name. He is the God of gods, King of kings. And then he says in Psalms, that I have taken my word and I have elevated my word above my own name. So when God speaks to us through his word, he's saying I've put my word in a safe place. No one can change it. No one can alter it. So when I've said it, it's true. I mean what I say. I don't lie. On top of that, I honor my word so much that in fact I elevate it above my own name. Then he pushes it even further. Isaiah 55, 11, he says, my word will not return void and will accomplish what I have set forth for it to accomplish. So the question then is, what's up with the doubt? 
And I hope that after this morning, as the Spirit speaks to you, and that would ultimately be my prayer this morning, is that you'd be able to tune out my voice and really hear from God. How can you move into a space where you step out of your comfort zone, step out of the boat, walk on water, even though there's storms around you, even though the storms are scary, and even though Peter sank when he looked around because he was fearful, that you'd be able to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he told you to come. So I hope you would find hope this morning. So I want to read a passage to you. So it's in Exodus chapter 2, uh, chapter 12, my apologies. Exodus chapter 12. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to get some context in just a bit, but I want to read from verse 5, and then we're going to unpack it just a little bit. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. The animals you chose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take from them the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the side and the top, and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire, along with the bitter herbs. So if you've, got a, if, you, if you've got a Bible and you're happy to underline, or you want to write this one down, underline the word bitter herbs. Also, if you want to go back a little bit, underline the word blood. Bitter herbs. Also underline the following part. And bread, underline the word bread, made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left over until morning, you must burn it. This is how you must eat it. This is also very important. If you want to underline this, please do so, or at least note for yourself, verse 11 is important. This is how you must eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Then on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood, again, underline that. The blood will be a sign for you and the houses you are, uh, where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've made it so clear to us that you have established your word in the heavens. You've elevated your word above your own name, and, you have, and your word will accomplish what you set forth for it to accomplish. It will not return void. And I pray this morning that Jesus, you as the word, would speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you would magnify and elevate and highlight and, and enlighten anything that you want to speak to us about. So I pray that you would open up our spiritual ears to hear you and our eyes to see whatever it is you want to show us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. 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 So this is a fascinating portion of Scripture. So we jumped right into to chapter 12, which is essentially the climax of a story. Right? So we, before we, I feel like we just jumped in there, and, and then what? It's a fascinating, weird piece of Scripture, but I think it's important for us to get some context maybe 
just to, just to figure out how we landed here. And if you've been going to church for a long time, you might actually know and have some context. But just for those of you who might be new to church, or you might be visiting, you might not know what's happening here. I think it's important to get some context. So the Israelites, God's chosen people, were enslaved by a group known as the Egyptians, approximately 400 years. That's how long they were slaves. This is an impossible situation. Did God create the universe? Yes. Can he do backflips? Yes. Can he deliver us? He can. But if you've been slaves for 400 years, there's no hope, potentially. If you've been struggling, and you've been beaten down as a nation, and you've been living in extreme poverty, and you've been struggling, You've just been suffering for 400 years and you've watched your mom or your father or your brother being beaten by an, by an, Isra- by an Egyptian while you are sweating and bleeding as a slave. I suspect your, your levels of hope is running low. An impossible situation. So there's this guy named Moses that God raises up in the household of Egypt. He wants, there's one day he, he sees an Egyptian beating one of his people, one of his brothers, essentially. And he gets such a holy discontent that he decides he's going to do something about this. And what fascinates me about this story is, so Moses is, is, is who's grown up in, in, the, in, this, um, in, the, in, the, in Egypt, essentially, in the household of a king. He watches one of his brothers being beaten. He looks around, and he decides not seeing anyone who could potentially spot or be a witness to this moment, he recognizes that he, he can take this guy. Do you know what I mean? Like when you, when you see Shannon approaching you, you're like, you're like no, wait. I need to reconsider. I don't know if I can take him, but Moses says, I can see this Egyptian. He's beating one of my, one of my family members, and I'm going to do something about it. He approaches the slave driver, kills him, kills him, buries him in sand. No one's ever going to find out. He then sees two brothers fighting with one another, and he says, hey, don't do that. They respond and said, what do you mean? You can't lord over us. We saw you. You murdered someone. Then extreme fear sets in. So he's guilty, right? We all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God. So he is guilty. He becomes so afraid Pharaoh finds out he sets out to kill Moses and he runs away and goes into hiding for a long time, Scripture says. For a long time. He's hiding away. And I suspect God was journeying with him, preparing him for a moment where he encounters God in a very, very special way. A subtitle this morning is Living for the Unseen. Living for the Unseen. So Moses has this moment, goes up on a mountain, And suddenly, God starts speaking to him through a a burning bush that isn't consumed by the fire. There's a fire that's not being consumed. And Moses recognizes this is God. In fact, he takes off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And he encounters God in such a powerful way that everything changes for him. Everything, his life is thrown upside down. 
He receives a call and an anointing on his life in this moment that shifts everything for him. He becomes one of the, the world's most famous and most successful, most influential leaders to date, leading thousands and thousands of people to salvation as God delivers them. But he has this moment in the unseen. No one saw him, but he met with God in such a powerful way, such an extreme way, it's such an encounter with God that everything, everything shifted. And then God says to him, this is what I want you to do. I need you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, the time's up, let my people go. And I love this. And I know the church in America is not like this. But in South Africa, I feel like Moses defines the South African church. He goes, Lord, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm happy that my people are going to be set free, but you sending me. Yes. But, but what happens, Moses says, if, they won't, if, he, if, if he doesn't believe me? So God says, well, I'll give you some signs. And he says, well, what do you, what do you have in your hand? And he says, well, I've got the staff. God says, throw it on the floor. And he does, and it turns into a snake. And Moses goes, ha. Oh. <laughs> fantastic. And God says, well, grab it by the tail, and he does, and it turns back into a staff again. And Moses goes, well, that's wonderful, but what happens if he doesn't lift it, listen after this sign? Imagine, I'm like, if I was God, I'd be like, yeah, I made a mistake here. <laughs> Go find someone else. And God goes, okay, all right, Moses, if you think you won't listen to that, a staff's turning into, turning into a snake. If you don't think he's going to listen, he'll do this. Why don't you put your hand into your cloak? He does. And he pulls it out and full of leprosy. And Moses goes, ha, huh. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> he can't run away from the hand, but it's there. God says, put it back, and it, he gets healed. And Moses goes, wonderful, wonderful. I've seen the snake, and I've seen the miraculous hand. But what happens if he still doesn't listen? And just imagine God going like, oh, Moses, come on. You think you won't listen? Okay, well, if, that, if he then doesn't listen, why don't you take a jug of water? Watch this, Shannon. <laughs> why don't you take a jug of water and pour it out in front of him, and when you do, it will turn into blood. And Moses goes, wonderful. I love those signs. However, however, I'm not worthy. In fact, I'm, I'm slow of speech. Got a speech impediment, potentially. So I don't know how I'm going to speak. And then Scripture says God got angry at Moses. And he says to him, well, how about your brother Aaron? He can speak. Take him with you, and he'll speak on your behalf. You just throw the stick, show the hand, and pour the water. <laughs> just keep quiet. You just go be there. Be, look cool. Like Jacques. Fancy hair. Not, not really have fancy hair, I know. And Moses eventually obeys. And then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Then you might know the story. He gives, sends it ten plagues. And in, in chapter 12, God eventually strikes Egypt with the 10th plague. Then there's this climax where eventually Egypt and Pharaoh, something shifts. They recognize we need to do something. Nine plagues, the 10th plague is my son is now dead, my firstborn. The whole of Egypt's firstborn sons are dead, along with all the animals. We need to get rid of these Israelites. In fact, they're a plague. Then in verse 31, I'm going to actually read that before, before I'm going to jump back. Verse 31, it's not going to be on the screen. So this is, this is sort of the moment where the deliverance happens. 
During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, <laughs> leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, I'm, I love this. He doesn't want anything to do with the, with the Israelites. He says, go, you take, you, you go, take all the Israelites and your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go. And also, bless me, please, as you go. And then Moses says, okay, but also as we go, give us gold and silver. <laughs> and then they do. They give them gold and silver as they leave. And God delivers them. God delivers them, gives them absolute freedom. There was this moment of 400 years of slavery and suffering, an impossibility, a moment of hopelessness, until there was an encounter. Until there was a burning bush can you see the fire? You, are you Hannah? No. What's your name again? Abby. Abby. Oh, in South Africa, we would say Abby. I, l I love Abby. Abby, can you see the fire? Have you had this encounter with God yet? It's coming. <laughs> Everything shifted in this moment. I asked my question, when did the deliverance happen? Was it in verse 31? When did God set them free? Was it this moment when Pharaoh said, up, out, Seems like a deliverance ministry almost. Up and out. No, it wasn't in that moment. It was in the burning bush moment. That was the moment of their deliverance. If it wasn't for what happened in the secret place, if it wasn't for Moses living in the unseen, there would be no deliverance. They would still be living in the suffering and the slavery. Now this is a powerful story. Old Testament story. And it happened potentially thousands of years ago. How is that relevant to us today? Now we have to draw the obvious parallels to Jesus. We have to. We, we, we read about the, the lamb, the one-year-old male lamb. They needed to be without blemish. And this is the perfect picture of Jesus, who is the lamb of God, who was sacrificed on the cross for us. Now, the picture of the lamb, so this is very important. I want to I take a moment to highlight this, and I apologize for showing, I'm not showing you my biceps, by the way. <laughs> this wire, Keith, I pulled it out earlier on, and then Keith said, it doesn't look cool. So I'm pulling it out so I can move my neck, otherwise I might have to turn like this. So the lamb of God, we know the story of Jesus, we know the gospel, he was crucified, but, but this is the picture in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals, often. But what happened in the Old Testament was the blood could only cover, and we read this in Hebrews 10, the blood, if this was your sin, the, sacrif the sacrifices they made always covered your sin. It never got rid of the sin. So the annual sacrifices that they made was always only covering it. It, would never, it was never gone. So the guilt was always there. They were always guilty. The shame was always there because they're always guilty. The sin hasn't been removed. The enemy always had a legal right to accuse them. Ha, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, had a legal right to do so because the sin was there. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, when he came and was sacrificed, one sacrifice for all, what he did was he removed. Removed. That was very cool. <laughs> he removed our sin. Gone as far as the east is from the west, Scripture says. That's far. Now, we measure in kilometers. Now, I don't know where the beginning of East is. 
We, we haven't figured that out in South Africa yet. Where is the beginning of East? Who knows? Where is the end of West? Who knows? But that's how far he's removed our sin from us, as far as the East is from the West. Then Scripture says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Scripture says he never thinks about your sin again because he cannot. Jesus has removed it. It's gone. Scripture says that the enemy has been unarmed and your transgressions has been nailed to the cross. Therefore, when you worship, you've got complete liberty to worship freely. No need for condemnation and shame. And when the enemy accuses you, all you do is you say, correct, I am guilty, but the blood of the Lamb cleanses me. I am purified. I am the righteousness of Christ. That's the message of the gospel. It's not in our own works. We cannot earn our own salvation. Israel couldn't save themselves. There was no hope for 400 years. They couldn't save themselves. God needed to intervene. The sin of humanity, we cannot save ourselves. God needed to intervene, and he did so with the Lamb of God. We read about the, 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 the bread, the unleavened bread. Jesus is the bread of life. But the interesting thing with, with the unleavened bread is, did, remember I told you to underline that passage that says um, yeah, the, the way they needed to, the, the, the actual methodology, how they needed to eat. They needed to eat with haste in verse 11. I'm going to read that passage again. This is, this is something I want to highlight before I move on to Jesus. Verse 11, it says, this is how you are to eat it. Speaking about the lamb, it says, your, your cloak tucked into your belt. Can you see this, Wesley? Your cloak tucked in. I mean, Wesley, I'm looking at your dad, sorry. Your, toe clucked in, uh, your cloak tucked in into your belt with your sandals on. You ready? Sandals on and your staff in hand. Okay, so it's speaking about being ready to go. So you're eating, but you, what does this look like? Your sandals on, cloak tucked in, staff in hand, eating like a, with haste. And it had to be unleavened bread because there was no time. Let me get that out. <laughs> because there was no time for the bread to rise. God was trying to get them to think, move out of Egypt with haste. You don't belong there. You're not slaves. Get out of your sin. Turn your back on Egypt because you're moving with haste. So move away, run from Egypt with haste, obey me because I'm speaking to you, respond with obedience with haste, and I'll take you to the promised land. But move and respond with haste. The message of Jesus is the same. We, are all, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all separated from God. The thing that separates us is not our, is not our, um, our holiness or, or our, our, our works of sin. It is our unbelief according to John 3.16. We are separated by sin, absolutely. Let me just clarify that. This, our sin has separated us. But what John 3.16 says, is, says is, is that the thing that reunites us with God is not being perfect or trying to earn salvation, very clear, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only lamb that whosoever believes, believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Following verse says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world because those who don't believe are condemned already. It's got to do with faith. I encourage you this morning to respond to the message of Jesus if you haven't yet with haste. 
tuck in your cloak, put your sandals on, grab your, your staff, and respond to the message of Jesus with haste. Very clear parallels. Then the bitter herbs, also verse 11, the bitter herbs is a reminder of the bitterness they experienced in, in Egypt. They hated being slaves. And that's very interesting because while they were in the desert for 40 years, they yearned, they longed back for the bitterness because they craved some savory snacks. Meat pots and garlic and melons. Oh, so delicious. I'm making my mouth watering, actually. I had some barbecue for the first time in my life <laughs> being here. It's amazing. So we only get to see it on TV. So Netflix, we watch this barbecue competitions, and apparently with, with, bar, with, with um, brisket, there has to be a jiggle. Yes, I, believe, I, I know that. I'm not even a Texan, purely from Netflix. And I suspect while they were eating the quail and the bread, they, they were imagining the, the jiggle. and the ranch dressing. <laughs> I could drink cups of that stuff. <laughs> but the Lord told them to remember the bitterness. When we take communion, what Jesus is reminding us of is the bitterness of our sin so that we never become Pharisees. What Pharisees did was they thought they could earn salvation by being perfect, by implementing additional laws and then forcing everybody to do those same things. And if you didn't do those same things, you're disqualified. You're disqualified. You're disqualified. Missing Jesus completely. The message of Jesus is, you are imperfect. Remember the bitterness. I saved you. You cannot save yourself. Always remember the bitterness. But this is, this is absolutely beautiful. So Jesus saves us. He takes us into, he gives us eternal life. But he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. He takes, he gives us eternal life. So, so this is another South African problem. We see many people come to faith, and then we start filling our pews, and then we just, we just become spiritually fat. Every Sunday we come to church, we take down notes, and we never, we, we get filled, so filled with knowledge about God and Scripture and we know everything. We can engage in such wonderful debates. But then when we need someone to serve in kids' ministry, crickets. Cricket sounds in the back. Is that a thing? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I'm just checking. It's fascinating. We, we, we hear God's word, but we never respond. So I love this. So Jesus, have you ever wondered? So Jesus disappears in Scripture from age 12 to 30. Have you ever wondered what happened there? The last time we, we sort of hear Jesus around age 12 is where we, um, we, he, he, runs away, he doesn't run away. He goes to the temple and he engages in, in great conversation. At this stage, he's 12. He, he needed to have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch or the, or the Torah. Memorized it. So we know all the Jewish boys, they were training. Essentially, all the Jewish boys, just like here in Texas, I believe, everybody wants to go pro-level football. I wanted to be a pro football player when I was there on Friday Night Lights. I was like, how do I, how do, where do I sign up? Can I, where, how does this work? And uh, all of the Jewish boys were essentially trained to become rabbis. All of them. So at age six, they had to memorize the whole book of Leviticus. 
And then if they, they qualified to move on, the rabbi would come and say, well, fantastic, you've qualified. You, you get to move on to what we call, the next, the next phase is called the Bet Safar. Bet Shafar, Bet Shafar. That's the school of the book. So from age six to age 12, they then studied to memorize, completely memorize, the first five books of the Torah. And then if they do that, they get to move on. The rabbi would come and say, you qualify, follow me. You qualify, follow me, and all the rest of you, you're disqualified. You're disqualified. Go. Go back home. Learn your family trade, whether it was carpentry or fishing or whatever it might be. You're qualified. Now follow me. And then from age 12 to age 30, they would go into the school of the rabbi or the school of the disciple, where they would follow quite literally the rabbi. They would walk behind the rabbi and, and learn the rabbi's yoke. The yoke means the interpretation of the law. So every rabbi had a certain interpretation of the law. They would interpret scripture a certain way. So they would follow their rabbi, speak as the rabbi speaks, walk as the rabbi walks, literally walk behind them, and then learn from them as a disciple. Age six, I mean age 12, all the way through to age 30, and that's called the Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud. Then you get ordained. If you qualify, if you qualify, the rabbi would come to you and say, Congratulations. You qualify. Now, I ordain you. Then you would get your authority as a rabbi. You get your, shm- your, your smika. It's a the word for authority. Get your authority to now to go teach your yoke. And you can now go choose your disciples from, where do you choose your disciples from? From rabbinic school. You don't just go anywhere. Can't go find your disciples just wherever you want. You have to go to this elite school. So now that you are qualified, now that you got Shmika, you can go to the special elite rabbinic school and say, I'm going to now choose for myself disciples and I'm going to disqualify almost everybody and only choose the best of 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 the best. That's very good, Vivian. All the rest of you, disqualified. You go. You go. Learn the family trade. So now, we get to Matthew. Now this is, this is absolutely fascinating. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this passage. So, so Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to read this passage, and, and I want you to just think about how bizarre this is. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then listen, this is, this is, this is fascinating. Wesley, listen to this. At once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. What's happening? Why would they do that? That's madness is what that is. This is their business. One man shows up, his sales pitch, Keith, this is a sales pitch, sales pitch. I mean, there's no introduction, there's no problem statement, there's, no, there's nothing. He says, hi, follow me. 
They leave everything and say, okay. They listen. They say yes. Wesley, follow me. Is he says no. <laughs> I'm going to continue reading. They leave everything and follow him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were on a boat there with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately, we don't even see him say, follow me. In this, in this part, apparently. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. So, so they, leave their fish, they leave their business and their father. Imagine that. I'm just trying to sell this to my wife. Hey, loves, how's your day? Wonderful. What did you do? Well, I'm following this man called Jesus. Quit my job. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, quit my job. Left my father. I'm not doing that anymore. What do you think about that? <laughs> what are we going to do for food? No, we're fasting. We're trusting the Lord. <laughs> Listen to this. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and, began, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. What did he say? Follow me, Jesus said. <laughs> Levi got up and followed him. That's five for five. That's five for five. I'm constantly looking for, looking for recruiting. Like, I need people on my leadership team, so I'm constantly like... Follow me, follow me. No, I'll get like zero for five almost all the time. And that's me coming up with a good introduction, like sales pitch. That's me investing for months, taking them for coffee, spending my own money. Pat on the back. We call about the, the big ask. Listen, I see so much potential in you. I see God's going to raise you up to change the world. Also, would you come serve on my team? No. No, I won't come serve on your team. What is happening? Why would someone just up and leave their business? What, what is, there's something going on that we are missing. We, we don't have some context. There's some context missing here. Remember, what do all Jewish boys do when they're young? They're all trained to become rabbis. All trained to become rabbis. And ultimately, at some point, all, most Jewish boys hear that you are not good enough. At some point in the process. You're not good enough. You're disqualified. Go. Learn your family trade. Tax collector, fisherman, carpenter. So now, when a rabbi with Shmika shows up, who doesn't go to a rabbinic school, named Jesus, he says, I'm not going to go, in fact, to go select the cream of the crop, the best of 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 the best. Very good. He decides not to do that. He decides to go and find what we call ordinary men, fishermen, who were disqualified. And when they hear those words from a rabbi with authority, a rabbi with shmika, saying, follow me, they get to live their dream. They've been trained their whole life to live their dream. And then Jesus gives them a purpose far beyond earning an income or making money. He says, I'll teach you to become fishers of men. 
And this morning, what Jesus is saying to you is, and you know this, he's saying to you, follow me. He saved you. He's delivered you. And I know I'm not speaking the American church, and especially Redeemer Church is not the same as the South African church. I know that. South African church, we get saved and then we sit. When Jesus says, follow me, we interpret follow me, meaning I get to come to church on Sunday and watch the movie, eat the popcorn, and then go home, and then do an evaluation. I didn't like Jacques' hair. Also, he seems slightly sweaty under the armpits. What's up with that nonsense? It's cold in here. What's up, Jacques? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That's not what follow me means. So here's the message. I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to wrap this up. Jesus has saved you or wants to save you from your Egypt. Your sin wants to remove that as far as the east is from the west. Many of you have received that. He's, he's forgiven you. He's justified you. He's been, in, he's been sanctifying you for many years. But you've been fishing. You've been in the boat. You've been fishing. You've been sitting here with your father and your brother, but you've been missing the moment where Jesus says, I've called you to become a fisher, fisher of men. And you've missed the purpose, the call that God has placed on your life. And you could potentially die one day when you're 99 years old as a fisherman, completely missing your purpose and call. What a sad story that would be. What a tragedy. Jesus didn't just save you. The hope is that he's also given you a purpose. And you get to be a world-changing leader right where you're at. In the workplace, right here at church. But where did the deliverance start? Can I ask the band to come up? Can you remember where did the deliverance start for Egypt? Was it in verse 31 where Pharaoh said, go, up and go? It started where? It started at the burning bush. I started at the burning bush. As the band comes up, I'm going to take a moment so we, so we don't get too distracted. Just to just take a moment of silence. I'm going to have some of this water. Hopefully it won't change color, Shannon. But I want you to take a moment and consider what the Lord might be saying to you this morning. What is he saying to you? Is there an Egypt for you that you need to be delivered from? Or have you just been sitting in a boat without purpose for too long? Both of those, by the way, are disastrous. You will be frustrated. So frustrated. If you don't let the Lord deliver you. The message of hope is this. That Jesus will set you free and he's got something prepared for you. So I'm going to pray with you right now, but also after the service, um, we've got a team, the elders are so excited to, to be praying with you. But I want to encourage you to respond with haste. If you've got a, a crew, a team of anointed elders called by God, placed in an office, saying we're here to serve you, and to not take an opportunity to respond with haste, it's a wasted opportunity. 
I would love to pray with you as well. So right after the service, we're going to meet in the back, maybe in the back there, Keith, that, that, that back over there. Actually, there's coffee there. It's going to be too distracting. That back over there. Don't go home without having your burning bush moment this morning. Don't go home without meeting with Jesus in the boat. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Maybe. Who cares? Meet with Jesus this morning. Have your encounter. Is that okay? So Lord, I glorify you. I praise your name. We desire to live for the unseen. We desire to live for the moment where Moses met you at the burning bush. It is in that moment when everything changed for him and for Israel. We desire to live for the unseen moment when Peter and his brother Andrew met Jesus. It was because of that private moment that you elevated them publicly and that their public ministry became so successful that 2,000 years later, a bold Afrikaans guy right here in the States get to meet an incredible group of family is ready and eager and willing to move with haste to go and change the world with a message of the gospel. All that happened because people, 12 disciples, was ready to live for the unseen moment of encountering Jesus. This morning, we recognize that this is holy ground. We also recognize that it could be uncomfortable to stand in front of a burning bush. So in our spirits, we choose to take off our sandals and approach this moment with extreme reverence and fear of a holy God, a powerful God, an almighty God who wants to encounter us this morning. So Lord, as we sing this last song, we choose not to just sing a song. We don't just want to sing a song. We want to worship you. We want to glorify you and praise you this morning because we recognize that you are our redeemer. You are our salvation. And you give us purpose, every single one of us. And we are ready. We are ready, Lord. We're ready to get out of the boat, just like Peter did and walk on water. We're ready to get out of the boat and start becoming fishers of men. We're ready. Speak to us. Touch us. Transform us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and sin, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.